0: Yeah, folks, we're exploring Washington State from Mexico today. hmm Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, we are back again with the Exploring Washington State podcast. This is episode two with Ed Beeson. Um, for those of you that haven't listened to episode one, stop immediately, go back, listen to that, and then you'll know where we're at for episode two. Although, they're, frankly, let's be real, Ed, these, these are separate, independent conversations. So, Ed, I'm going to recap your career. You produced a whole lot of re- uh, music shows through multiple venues in the Puget Sound, and... Then, through kind of a interesting series of events, you ended up pr- producing music at SeaTac Airport. And that's what I yes. want to talk to you about today. So, welcome back. How's the weather?
1: Um, well, I uh, have the good fortune of being in La Paz, Mexico, and the weather here is uh, 76 degrees and not a cloud in the sky.
0: Yeah, folks, we're exploring Washington State from Mexico today. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Ed, why don't we, let's, let's kind of go back and we'll la- overlap from the first episode. Why don't you walk me through how this all came about?
1: Yes. Well, it was kind of, um, started in, uh, 2011 and I had just coming off of a, a failed experiment in the town of uh, Stanwood, Washington, where I was combining a, a live music concert a venue a summer concert um festival called Slow Food and roots music festival and uh um, and anyway um you know we were kind of not knowing what I was going to do next, and um I got a call from uh, an old associate who um, is, or at the time, um, it was a director of uh, the Benaroya Hall um, music venue. Uh, it's a separate organization from the Seattle Symphony. It, it's no longer that way, but at the time, there was two separate nonprofits. One was um, a nonprofit that ran the, the Benaroya Hall, and then Seattle Symphony just basically did all their symphony business. They were all housed in basically the same building. But anyway, the reason why um, I got the call is uh, the director's name was Troy Skubitz. And I had worked with Troy way back in 2001 where I'd produced a summer concert series at Benaroya Hall. Um, where the, to me the, the peak of that series was we had uh, um, Nina Simone in concert at Benaroya Hall her last, one of her last time performing in the United States before she died. Anyway, um, so that's how I, I knew Troy. I'd, I'd done work for Benway Hall off and on. At the time, Troy was not the executive director, but he is now. So the position that they were in was, um, like a lot of other larger venues, they found that they needed to book their own, their own venue because the big guys like AEG and Live Nation and all the big producers had their own venues. So, um, and this is coinciding when the symphony, number of symphony dates were falling off as their um, attendance was falling off. So they were down to like under 200 gigs a year something like that. So that left a lot of open dates. And so they brought me in to fill up the room with um, other types of music besides symphony music. So, um, of course, I jumped at the opportunity and uh, uh, took the position, I can't remember exactly what my title was, something like Programming Director for Benaroya Hall. And um, kind of as a side note, Benaroya Hall is, uh, the building is actually owned by the city of Seattle. So that put me in a position to have contact with people at the city in, in my programming and marketing of the events that we were doing there. So about um, oh I can't remember exactly about six months into that job, um, I came up with an idea for marketing the shows that we were booking um, by putting um, professional musicians, some from the symphony perhaps, but you know just Seattle's top musicians, out in the lobby on Third Avenue of Benaroya Hall, where the bus you know creates a big crowd out there, and there's a Starbucks out there and a little cafe. So what I wanted to do was to put um, musicians out there um, like musicians would perform at the Pike Place Market was kind of the inspiration. But instead of just having musicians sign up and whoever signed up and paid their fee could play, we wanted this to be curated and to kind of present the best of Seattle's um, homegrown music. And, um, and so that's, I got referred, you know, of course, the first question is, so we're not selling tickets to this, so how do we pay for it? So I went to um, the director of the Office of Film and Music, a guy named James Keblis, and talked to him about my idea. And he thought it was a really cool idea. And so he said, well, let me see if I can find you some money. So in fact, he came back um, you know, not too much longer and said, hey, I think I've got some money it's out of the transit system where they wanna activate uh bus stops. So and Third Avenue in particular in Seattle was kind of a, a gritty area. Um, you know, all the way up to the McDonald's there by the you know, the, the former Bon Marche Macy's. It was pretty gritty because that's where all the bus stops were and who rides the buses, but you know, gritty or people. And um so there was there was we got some money and so we started working through that. And of course, then getting the money is a real process because you have to go through applications. And, um, the important part of the whole story up till now is that all of my work on, on this idea was on behalf of Benaroya hall. I was their employee. Um, the pro- the project was going to be for music at Benaroya hall with the purpose of promoting these new, this new kind of programming that we were doing for them. So, um, so while they were in the process of um, finding some money for us, James Kemblis came back to me and said, "Hey, I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, uh, I've been working with SeaTac Airport, and they're, they're embracing Seattle, the City of Music, which was a new initiative by the music commissioners of Seattle to give it a name. you know, Austin, Texas is live music capital of the world. Of course, Nashville is Music City. Um, there's others. So Seattle is going to be the Seattle, the City of Music. And so, in, in as a promotional arm of that, it was City um, started working with uh, Port of Seattle at SeaTac Airport to have all of the overhead music converted to local artists, and then all of the TSA announcements would be um, by famous local musicians. Um, so they had everybody from Quincy Jones Phil McLemore, to Macklemore to Brandy Carlisle to. Ann and Nancy Wilson, were they were doing all this TSA announcements. And, uh, and so they kicked off. They had just recently kicked off the whole program. And I'd seen it in the news, so I was aware of it. But I hadn't really thought of them as live music. But James says, you know, they've done all this. And they're, they've been wrestling with a way to do live music. Um, and I was familiar, having gone to um, Austin many times that at Austin they had live music in their airport and they had set up a special place for that in their airport. And then I was also aware that in Nashville and uh, I think Memphis as well, airports had a lot of the bars and restaurants in the airport terminal would have live music, which I thought was really cool. So yes. I had those two things to kind of you know wrap my head around and, and Keblis was of course just, uh, familiar with all of those places as well. So he was saying, you know, all of those things are, you know, going to take a long time to make happen. I'm, and I think your idea, we could put that into place like right away. So it basically taking my whole idea for Ben Roy Hall and planning it at SeaTac airport. And then it would become a marketing tool for uh, Ben Roy Hall. They would have, you know, those, you know, tens of thousands of people a day seeing musicians playing with a big sign up saying Ben Roy Hall, you know, um, see what's coming to Ben Roy Hall. So it was all going to be a really cool win-win-win uh, kind of deal. So we got into these conversations. Um, James introduced me to the people at SeaTac Airport who were kind of leading that initiative at the airport with the overhead music and the announcements and, and things like that. And uh, and so we started talking about my idea. And, it, and then the thing that slowed everything down, because the idea was pretty easy to get your head around, but the challenge was, okay, now we have to create a contract. We have to create an agreement for Ben Roy Hall to come in here and do this, and of course Ed Beeson's going to run it for Ben Roy Hall. Um, and uh, and so it's just going along, and then it got, you know, the whole process got shoved off to um, attorneys for both parties, and it was the attorney for. Uh, ben Roya Hall, who is, you know, he's like, because it's a big organization, I think it was like a pro bono position, but, you know, long story short, um, we, they just could not come together. Uh, they just could not come to an agreement. And finally, uh, we had kind of one, a come to Jesus meeting where the folks at SeaTac Airport said, this isn't going anywhere we're, we're done talking here. You know, I just feel like we're wasting our time. The, you know, the agreement that Ben Royal hall has crafted is just so far in the weeds that we just, we just think we just have to walk away from this, you know, thanks for your time. So, um, I just, you know, raised my hand and said, I can do this without Ben Royal hall. I don't need Ben royal hall to do this. And, um, cause I, you know, I had some bandwidth to make that happen. And, and, uh, and I, I just really, by the time I started getting this idea out in the air and talking to other people about it, I just just kept getting more and more jazzed about it. Like this is, this could really, really be cool. Um, especially when I thought of it being at SeaTac Airport and the exposure that you know local musicians could get in that environment. You know, it's just it was incredible. So. Um, it took them a little while. They weren't. They didn't really know of my background, so they, you know, wisely asked around and kind of dug into who I was and what my what my background was, and uh, and came up with the decision of okay, let's let's try it. So basically, just on a, um, a a very rough agreement that the Port of Seattle had me sign. I didn't write an agreement. We launched the thing. It was originally scheduled to run for 12 weeks on a trial basis. And so, in those first 12 weeks, um, I started bringing in local musicians. And we were just initially just tested different spots in the airport. And we just where we lost do- Ed. Oh, we just lost Ed.
0: Bummer. Okay, we are back. We had some technical challenges. Ed was in the uh, process of telling us how the. Um, SeaTac Airport uh, busking came to about. So Ed, let's pick it back
1: up. Okay, can you hear me now?
0: I can hear you now.
1: That's great. Um, well, I mean, I, I, let's just say that uh, this is this is a long story. But it's, really, <laughs> it's, it's really an important story because I mean it's the first time in my life, and I, I can't imagine it happens terribly often that um, like a whole new. Business is created that n- never existed before. And as far as I know, still does not is- exist anywhere other than in Seattle, um, like Gigs for You exists. So um, that's why I, I love telling the story, but it's important to have all the information. And kind of where we left off was um, I had been talking to the people at Port of Seattle at Seacack Airport, and they had uh, given me. Uh, to do this individually, whereas originally the plan was to do this on behalf of uh, Benaroya Hall. So, um, so that was that was just a really really important moment right there because not only did you know the opportunity to to make this happen uh, become a reality, but it was in order to make it happen, I also had to agree. Well, I didn't. No one twisted my arm. I just knew that I had to agree. To just stick with the original idea, um, which was um, really didn't have any money in it for me because, um, so I started a business that I was not going to make any money at because I was still working at Benaroya Hall and I couldn't be at two places at one time. So the whole thing, all of the money was paying for um, someone to be on site and to assist the artists when they came in um, to get going. So that's it's kind of an important part because first of all, it's a business that had never been done before, and um, and we were starting off with kind of our hands tied because we weren't going to be making any money, and it wasn't too long before I realized that I was actually going to be losing money in order to get start this company because the uh, liability insurance requirements that um, were necessary in order for us to do this at Ben Hall were like, you know. at the time, well over five thousand dollars a year. I can't remember exactly, but it was it was a lot of money to me, someone who was, you know, starting over in, in life at age sixty-seven years old, or whatever it was, sixty-six. And uh, so, somehow, I convinced the airport that they needed to pay me five thousand dollars up front um, for my idea, which I didn't, you know, I was already walking on thin ice with them because they didn't even know who I was or that I could do it. And it's like a 12 week trial basis. And and they have a policy of never paying anybody for anything until the work is done and inspected. And you know, like this is (laughs) their government agency. So I don't know how I made, how they worked it out, but they worked it out and before, you know, before too long um, I got uh, a check for $5,000, but it wasn't until after we'd started the program. And initially, I worked with a young musician, um, his name is Jud Wasserman. And we brought in Judd, and he packed a little portable amplifier and his guitar around. I probably carried one or the other. And we just went around to different places in the airport, and he just plugged in his amp where, you know, places that had power. And he just started singing, and he didn't even have a microphone. Um, Oh, he brought a microphone. That's right initially in, in uh, we didn't provide any sound systems at all we were just totally you know winging this thing like if you don't if you just want to play acoustic in the in the airport fine this was all just a giant experiment um, so you know probably into about week six um, we we got word back from the airport that everybody loves it I mean this is like everybody's just grinning from ear to ear. This is like the best thing ever. And uh, so by that time, after about six weeks, I, had, I was working with about five or six different musicians. And, and actually this is how I came up with the name for the company of Gigs For You, is that um, as soon as we got past working with Judd um, on the first you know, three or four days of just trying out different spaces, I just started texting musicians I knew Um, over the years. And it was, I, you know, just, Hey, I have gigs for you. And of course, when you're (laughs) doing a text, you do it the quickest way possible. So that's how it came up with a number and a letter. And, and, and so musicians started getting back to me. And so I started bringing in other musicians and um, I tried to, you know, diversity was really important to the airport. So uh, all different kinds of music, um, so initially, I can remember that we had um, Judd Wasserman, had kind of a young Seattle singer-songwriter. Um, a young uh, violin player and uh, s- songwriter uh, went by the stage name Raz. And uh, so Raz played an electric violin. And, and then we had um, uh, Country Dave Harmonson, uh, Orville Johnson, so it's kind of there's blues and country, jazz, I, I can't remember exactly who else. Oh, um, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, I'll, I could send you a whole list of all the artists. But it was, in any, in any case, you know, everybody that came in, it was all an experiment for them, too. So we just kind of worked our way through it. Some people brought in, like, a whole sound system. Oh, wow. And, uh, and you know, we realized that's not going to work. Some people just brought in a little portable. And it was, it was this artist named Raz who came in with um, a Roland Street Cube. And we all said, this is what we need to do. This is great. Runs on batteries. We can set up anywhere. The sound quality is pretty darn good. Um, you know, we're not trying to fill up, you know, the whole airport. We're only trying to provide sound to an intimate group of people who care and want to maybe sit closer or, or you know, just appreciate the fact that someone's playing live music. So um, we had to figure out all of those things in those first first few weeks. And then they changed the, the, from a 12-week contract to a 12-month contract. So we started in March, so we were good until next March. And then um, somewhere along the line, like towards uh, November of that uh 2013, um, the airport, the Port of Seattle put out an RFP, which was to expand the program and to be a much bigger program. So if, during that trial period, we had uh, two musicians a day, Monday through Friday. So that's 10 gigs a week. Wow. And for about, you know, 50 weeks. So that's 500 gigs that year. That's a lot of gigs.
0: So let me, let me ask you this. How long were these performances?
1: Um, Well, that was, um, we kind of decided that in the early part of the discussions of the, um, because coming into the airport um, is not like going to any other gig. You have to, uh, (laughs) you have to go through security and, you know, like it's really a challenge. So we allowed like an hour Or a musician to get in, get to a location and get set up and start performing. And then we also um, kind of figured, well, we wanna wanna pay musicians um, an appropriate rate. So we figured $25 an hour um, was the appropriate rate. And so we made it like a four hour gig. One hour was loading in, one hour was loading out and you had two hours in between to play. Well we okay. got over time we got way faster than that and uh, um, things just got way more efficient. so it, it kind of turned out the musicians were you know coming in and being set up you know really quick. Uh, so anyway, over the course of that first year it was just like light bulbs were going off all over my head just all the time on how, how friggin great this is. Um, musicians were being paid to play um, at a gig on Tuesday at 10 a.m. and we were paying them $100 dollars. And the, the, the coolest thing about the whole whole thing is that the travelers in the airport were contributing with either buying merchandise or throwing dollar bills in an open guitar case to where the musicians were making on average of $200 dollars from the patrons in the airport. So for, you know, it's like a $300 gig at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, holy cow. You know, so musicians could also still work all of their night gigs. Um, They could uh, um, not interfere, because a lot of the musicians who are professionals also teach music Um, Mm -hmm. when they, you know, and that's usually like an after-school thing. So from four to six, usually a lot of musicians are very busy with uh, classes. And um, so it was like just a whole new revenue stream for musicians that never existed before. And as we learned, the whole reason is that a lot of big organizations would like to do this, but it was really, no one wanted to have um, the responsibility of wrangling all these musicians. (laughs) because it's really a lot of work. So we just, over the course of that first year, put a lot of systems in place that made it very efficient, like online scheduling systems. Um, And those allow you, give you the ability to um, schedule somebody that you don't ever see, and they get a notice via text message, you know, this is where technology we love. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that was, uh, one of the key things and then the other key thing was that we didn't choose to but we had to have this um liability insurance that not only covered me and my company or my employees but all of these independent contractors which were the musicians and that (laughs) that that was hard to find and we basically found a company that said yeah we'll do that and um although it wasn't cheap as i mentioned Right. So th- those were the you know the two key things, and then just the fact that you know having owned a venue before, I know that once you provide, once you start paying musicians to play, every musician on the planet knows, finds out who you are, and they start saying, hey, I want that gig too. So over a course of a pretty short period of time, we ended up with like a thousand local musicians in our database, um, uh-huh. all wanting that gig. And during that first year, we only grew the roster to about. Um, it was under 20 musicians, and primarily, well, the reason for that was that uh, every musician that played, and, and all of, and me, and all of my staff, we had to get uh, clearance through the um, TSA security. So we had to become badged. Is the you know you had to get a security badge and and go through a, a screening process and take tests actually before you could get the badge, and uh, so you know that that was also just something that we learned because we had the opportunity to learn it we that's something i couldn't have ever figured out having not been inside doing it so it was just a matter over that you know like i said that first year we just learned so much about how to make this thing work smoothly and efficiently and and it was just the it was just the best win 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 situation i've ever been a part of where you know, the musicians were absolutely loving them. I mean, they were just going, oh, my God, you know, I'm making an extra $1,000 a month off of this gig, and I still get <laughs> to keep all my other work, you know? So it was really, really powerful. So then when we got – we were awarded the first three-year contract in um, 2014, and uh, and so we kept we kept going – um, but along the way in 2014, and, and the good thing about 2014 contract was that I then could put in money into the proposal that paid for all of the overhead that I was creating. In that first year, I kind of just did it on my the salary I was getting from Benaroya Hall, which actually didn't last too long because Benaroya Hall went through some major changes um, in 2013 to where they dissolved the hall as a separate entity and brought everything under the, under the banner of the Seattle symphony. And as a result, me and Troy Skubitz, the guy who I was working with at Ben Royal hall, we were all out of a job. So a lot of things changed. And, um, but the good news is that we had this incredibly, you know, cool little gem of a new business and, um, and so also along the, about the same time, 2014, it really more and more people were aware of the program because people fly. And so they see musicians, they go, Hey, that's really cool. And I started mm-hmm. getting phone calls from different people going, Hey, we'd like to have that. And, and once we got the, the full program and we were there, you know, the full program was seven days a week, uh, four gigs a day. So that's went from, 10 gigs a week. They're 28 gigs a week. Anyway,
0: well, we have a- gonna, wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I slow
1: get, me down. I, it's so I
0: got to slow you down. Cause I got questions and yeah. I'm going to slam the brakes on here. First off, I, back in the day, I had one of those badges that allowed me to drive a vehicle on the runway at SeaTac mm-hmm. airport. Oh yeah. So I know the, well, I know what the process was. I don't know if, you know, you're telling me. So here's questions I have about stereotyping musicians. You're telling me you could get musicians to be present at 10 a.m. on a weekday. Uh-huh. Come on, now they all sleep. I'm kidding. Yeah.
1: but and I, I had to. I had to also find musicians who hadn't been arrested from for marijuana or something too. So oh, okay. So yeah. <laughs> so you
0: had the whole background check. So I don't. I don't know that. I. I. We're. We're going to talk in the in the historical sense right now i don't want to know about today cuz maybe maybe things have changed don't don't let's not go there yet but so you're telling me the the musicians during that first year had to go through the port of seattle's background check to get a badge that would allow them to pass through security and into areas of the airport that the general public is not allowed to go and and that can be any, anywhere from a hallway to, you know, I mean, there's so many things going on at SeaTac Airport. Yeah. That process right there alone is cumbersome. Exactly. And you found musicians that wanted to do this for, ai I, I kid, a 10 a.m. on Tuesday gig. But then you went ahead and the next year you ramped it up to four shows a day, seven days a week? Yeah. Okay. How much staff did that take from your side of the equation?
1: Um, well, it was, um, it's great and it's an important part of the story because in the first year, uh, once we started getting some momentum, I couldn't keep up with it anymore. For a while, I was doing it around what I, my responsibilities for Ben Arroyo Hall were. Um, but, you know, it also involved walking about 10 miles a day and, well, uh, that's a
0: good health benefit. Yeah, it You is. Didn't have to keep your membership at the gym, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, but you know, I, I needed to maintain my my job at Ben Royal Hall to keep this thing afloat. So, um, a, a good friend of mine um, was had just closed up a restaurant that uh, they had owned, and and uh, was looking for work. And I said, "Well, do you want to come down and help me with this live music program?" And so uh, that was a uh, um, uh, Ramona Gradi did this. And okay. uh, she was someone I met while I was uh, doing business in um, Stanwood. And so Ramona uh, came all the way down from Camino Island four days a week to do this. And, uh, um, you know, I was able to pay her. You know, the $25 an hour it was kind of like our, our base rate. And for the gig manager in that first year, that was only like you know, $125 a day. So it wasn't much. So fortunately Ramona was in a situation where she could make that work for herself, but she, she kind of fell in love with the whole process too. And, uh, and, you know, really was became a super important person in building the company. Um, I mean, I had all the experience, but she had this brand new passion for it and it was just so, um, passionate about the musicians and, and, you know, making this thing work for them uh, that she, you know, that became kind of her, her thing. And she did a tremendous job in building that roster, managing the database, all the musicians who, you know, wanted to get gigs. She handled all of that. And she, even, and she also had to learn about the whole badging process and, um, <laughs> you know, she just soaked it all up like a sponge and, uh, you know, made all of this happen and allowed me to keep, um, some income and, uh, and work on other projects that also kept the whole thing afloat in the first year. But that whole first year was done at a loss. We lost money that first year. And, um, and so when we got into that new that, that 2014, that was the first time we actually started making money on this. Thing. Mm-hmm. More questions? No. Okay. <laughs>
0: well, I have them, but let's, 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 let's move on into, to, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll call it really, phase two it, of the project.
1: Yeah. Well, this is kind of, you know, the important thing is just, you know, just to talk about how the business grew, because, so in that first year we did like under a hundred thousand dollars in gross income mm-hmm. and we spent like $110,000 to make <laughs> it happen. Okay. And uh, um, so, um, the next, the next year, you know, the money went up su- substantially to about three hundred thousand dollars a year. So that was a pretty big jump. So I was able to pay myself, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but we still kept the. Your question before was how many people did it take on our side to make this happen. Right. So going into that second year, then we started hiring. Um, we gave them the the job title as gig manager. And so the gig managers were the people who um, would assist with setting up the musician at the locations. Because over that first year, we, we came up with all these little solutions to our problems. So we identified the best places in the airport to play. And we identified, you know, just a lot of the processes that need to take place. Like we couldn't, we really, it didn't work out to have musicians bringing in their own PA. It was really slow and awkward going through TSA. Um, it had a, a lot of a lot of problems, so we just kind of adopted the Roland Street Cube as being the standard. And you know that was the one of the things that I spent my own money on to make happen because not every musician had had the resources to go buy themselves that little sound system. So that cost us about five hundred dollars per per unit with, you know, when you include a microphone, mic stand, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. The airport supplied, you know, like a carpet on which to roll out and carts. And they did signage too, because they wanted to get, they wanted to take credit for this program. So the signage was basically saying experience, the city of music brought to UIC tech airport. And, uh, and then the musicians could have a little table that they could put their merch out on and, You know, like I say, over that first year, we refined all of those things. You know, for example, the airport, when they first provided us with carpets, they were like 10 by 12 or or 10 by 16. They were like huge. And it was all we could do to lift them and put them and roll them (laughs) out. And, of course, they just get filthy dirty and, you know, just packing all this dirt around. And so, you know, we initially we just cut them in half (laughs) and that became a lot more manageable. Um, so there's a whole lot of that, like in starting any new business, you know, you just, you just do whatever you have to do to make it work. But it was when right. we got well, the contract. Yeah, go ahead. I still have a
0: question. So I'm getting, I'm kind of saying this tongue in cheek, but at $25 an hour to the musicians, that doesn't cover airport parking. They
1: oh, would, that would was part of the deal. They gave us okay. free parking. They, so which was So they that always, was my question
0: is like, yeah. walk me through, um, because the airport, depending on the time of day, it's quite busy. Um, were they pulling up to the to curbside, dropping off the the themselves and their instruments, and then being ushered inside, or did they have to park over one of the towers? And then you met them there. How did we? How did you?
1: Yeah, in the first start year, the process. Yeah, in the first year, uh, they got parking. We told them you know the best place to park, uh, where it was usually available, and then we would meet. Um, in the lobby of the airport's administrative uh, conference center place. Oh, okay. So we would meet there, and then we would all go out together in, in one group, and um, the person at the airport who was responsible for um, making things happen, which also she deserves a tremendous amount of credit for the success of the, of the whole project, her name is Tammy Kiken, spelled K-U-I-K-E-N. Tammy was, you know, a lifelong, lifelong Seattle music fan, and Mm -hmm. uh, she really put her heart into this, making this whole program work. She went above and beyond over and over again to make things work for us. And she was our voice, um, you know, to the rest of the Port of Seattle and SeaTac administration um, to get us things that we, you know, we needed. But, yeah, that was, you know, those working in an airport was Really, the biggest challenge, mm-hmm. um, and the good news is that because of that, we created a company that um, that now became very attractive to other big organizations like Amazon and you know property like uh, pacific place um mm-hmm. Who else became our client? An organization called Friends of Waterfront Seattle hired us. Seattle Parks and Recreation hired us because they were doing their own busker program, but it wasn't anywhere near as good as ours. And the the real big one was um, we got uh, hired by Downtown Seattle Association to activate um, Westlake Park and Occidental Park. Both parks at the time, this was back in 2014, were pretty much uh, just homeless encampments, um, places where, you know, no one wanted to be. Um, Mm -hmm. They were pretty awful. And so uh, this whole activation thing was something that was uh, um, created back in New York city. And so Seattle was adopting a similar program. And so we were with them at the very, very beginning of this because having live music was part of the the magic of Activation Program and the kind of the, the theory being is that if you shine a spotlight on these dark places, that people will come. And it was just remarkable to see the parks transform from a place where literally our artists were threatened and, and stolen from and terrified at times Uh, to these wonderful places in the city of Seattle that we were all, all of us, myself, all the musicians, everybody on, you know, DSA, we were just all so proud of ourselves for the work that we did because it wasn't easy, you know, to make that happen. I mean, some of the gigs we took were, you know, close to life threatening, you know, Mm -hmm. just putting musicians out on the streets of Seattle. And sometimes that's not a very safe place, you know, sorry to say. But the good news is that you know we just kept getting more and more gigs. By the time we got into 2015, we were we were doing over 2,000 gigs a year.
0: What what what? 2,000.
1: 2,000 gigs a year. 1,500 of those were at SeaTac Airport, so that's a big chunk. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, we had one day. It was when we were in Amazon. It was also the timing was pretty good because Amazon was just opening up buildings left and right in downtown Seattle in the uh, uh, Westlake area. And so every time they opened up a new building, um, they hired us to come in and we'd have musicians on every floor at various places throughout the building as kind of a welcoming to all the new um, employees that were coming in. So we developed a great relationship with Amazon. Um, The the cool thing is that not – not hardly a single one of those clients would have hired us had it not been for them seeing and being aware of our program at CTAC airport. Right. It just, it, you know, it became a new way to, um, to interact. And we had done all the work to where we had, had created this infrastructure of, you know, database scheduling systems, liability insurance, you know, trained and professional staff, um, to where we could pull off anything. We, we had one day, one of the openings of a a building, Amazon building where we had 30 gigs in one day.
0: Okay. 30 gigs in one day. How long were these gigs?
1: Oh, they're pretty much, we developed that. Our standard was a two hour gig and yeah, we kind of made that the standard. Um, some of the gigs like at the parks, they only paid the artist $50. Um, Mm -hmm. But over time, you know, that's something else we're proud of is that we're just every year we've increased the average amount of money musicians make with gigs for you gigs. Okay. And uh, so we've kept we've kept pace with that. We, the only time we things fell apart was of course during the um pandemic. Well
0: since you brought up that you, you said that word. What let's talk about that during what happened I'm going to, I have a guess what happened, but what actually happened to the performances during the pandemic? Did they completely, did you completely stop them or?
1: Uh, Yes, it was uh, pretty, pretty heartbreaking. We had, you know, even in our first three-year contract, we kept learning things and got more efficient and we weren't really Mm -hmm. making money until the second three-year contract. So we were just about to begin our third contract, In March it started March 1 of 2020 was our new contract (laughs) with the Port of Seattle and it was our it was it was like the first contract that I I knew we it had taken us a long time to figure out our business model because there was no one to look to you know there wasn't another company like ours I mean I I challenge anybody to give me an example of of someone who's doing exactly what we're doing So we just had to figure it out, and the part of the challenge is that in regards to the airport, we only had every three years to figure it out, because then right. we had to live with that deal for the next three years. And almost consistently, every time we got to the end of three years, we weren't making very much money from the from the deal we had struck, mm-hmm. uh, just the nature of things. So, um, so yeah, March. 15th of 2020 two weeks into our new contract with the port of seattle which they had expanded up to a to be a four hundred thousand dollar a year contract okay. um, it all came to an end and the program was um, uh, put on uh, on hold mm-hmm. and we haven't uh, done any work in the airport since so it's uh, coming up to Uh, complete two years with no uh, live music at the airport, uh, part of that program. That's a pretty, that was, I was so proud that we were, we had reached a point to where the amount of business we were doing besides SeaTac Airport was more than 50% of the airport business, Mm -hmm. but uh, I challenge anybody to try to withstand losing 50% of your business. But we did uh. we did better than that. We lost almost, you know, 90% of our business because everything shut down. It wasn't just CTAC Airport. Everything right. shut down. It hadn't been for payroll protection that kept, you know, Ramona and I going and, um, and our other key management people. We kind of kept the core business going. Um, many mm-hmm. a big thanks to many of our clients. For example, even CTAC Airport continued to pay us for that first quarter. Uh, they paid us for everything we had scheduled. And mm-hmm. then and also during part of that time we started doing virtual shows. So they we tried to figure out a way that they could keep paying us to keep our company alive. And as you mm-hmm. might remember, everybody thought, oh this thing's gonna be over in three or four months anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. So um so it really it went from bad to worse in June when you know all of our Everything, you know, because we were doing all of our other work was really focused on the summer and all of that went away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, we just did whatever we could to keep the business alive because we we had this contract with CTAC Airport that we had to somehow keep it alive. You know, I mean, that that my life, my personal life, my future depended upon it. You know, I mean, when that when that happened, I was. You know, at that time, 71 years old. You know, I'm not, i I can't withstand. Uh, you know, losing everything at 71 years old. I certainly wouldn't choose to. So we we did everything we could to keep the business alive and with uh, you know, federal programs uh, that we took advantage of. Everyone, um, a few grants. I think we picked up probably three different grants. You know, it wasn't big money. You know, twenty thousand here you know, 15 there. And, and then SBA loans. Um, We're, we're still in business today. And we're actually on the verge of restarting um, the CTAC program um, in March of this year. So it is coming back. It's not going to come back full speed because of course we're, as you, as we all well know, the pandemic is not over.
0: No, it's around.
1: (laughs) So, well, yeah. We hung in there.
0: So I'm really glad to hear that, that you're, that it's coming back. And and I'm sure there'll be, it'll look different than it, than it did pre you know, pre COVID a couple of questions. You know, this is just the way my brain works. You know, I was wrapped around the axle on, well, how are these musicians parking at the airport? That's, that's where my brain goes. <laughs> so, but so I have a couple of questions. So in and, in your opinion, where's the best place for a gig at SeaTac Airport? Uh,
1: Central Terminal. Why is, do you say that? Uh, because it's where there's the most people who can have a place to sit and enjoy the music. Okay. But number two, a very close number two, and sometimes the, the highest grossing location in the airport, is at the intersection of. The central terminal, it's not too far from central terminal, but it's where it splits off to Concourse uh, C and D, which is Alaska Airlines primarily, and also um, out to North Satellite, which is Alaska. And as as we all know, Alaska is like the number one carrier out of TTAC. So it also had a tremendous amount of foot traffic walking by. And... um, so just the sheer volume, and it was kind of like a pinch point there. So people kind of yeah. had to walk close to where the artist was performing, because we set them. Are you familiar with where the Sub Pop music store is? I am. Yeah, I am. So we set up right out uh, in front of Sub Pop, because of course, what a more what more perfect location yeah. than that for Seattle music. And um, and uh, yeah, actually, we were there before Sub Pop opened. Uh, it was still it was always a good location, so it wasn't. Wasn't busy because Sub Pop was there. It was busy because mm-hmm. it was like one of the busiest locations in the airport for foot traffic.
0: But and then adding Sub Pop as the backdrop is kind of a cool. It was a cool thing. Tie it in. made
1: it yeah. made for better photo ops for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And I'm uh, yeah, so that...
0: surprised you didn't put them right in the TSA line so people could listen <laughs> to music while they were waiting.
1: Uh, we tried, and TSA said <laughs> none of that, none of that. We have to be able to be able to talk to each other and know what's going on.
2: So, uh, they you don't know, don't that's our any, biggest they, challenge
1: at the airport was maintaining a sound level that made everybody happy and could still right. be listened to who, the people who wanted to listen to it. So, you know, most right. of the people at the airport are, are working there and their voice had to be heard too, not just the travelers.
0: Right. Next, next question that pops in my brain is out of all of these shows, do you keep track of who's well received and who's not as well received?
1: Yeah, it's uh, um, it's pretty easy as it turns out because okay. we're we're doing these concerts in a busker format, so mm-hmm. um, there's only a few gigs. Like Amazon, they don't they don't want uh, musicians to sell their merchandise or collect tips because it's they are doing it as a perk to the to the Travelers, I mean, to the their employees. Right. Employees. Yeah. So it's like a, more of a private event. But all of the other locations are in public places. And, okay. um, and so the musicians have the ability to have their open guitar case and share merchandise out and some signage. And, and, of course, you know, they're, you know, entertainers and they're also business people. So they sell their merchandise. Right. And that has always accounted to be more than we pay them. So we are paying them. That's very, very important to our business models that we pay musicians to play because there are right. airports that have busker programs um, because they've seen the success of ours, but they do not pay their musicians and they do not curate their musicians. It's more like Pike Place Market. You know, and Not to say there's oh. anything wrong with that, but I think our, our product and service is far superior to anything else you'll see in any other airport.
0: So... Painting with broad brush, yeah. what genre is the best received at the airport?
1: Well, we've learned uh, over time that the best thing you can do is to mix uh, covers with original music. You okay. Know, every musician wants to play their original music. And right. as, as a matter of fact, these gigs are a great way for musicians to refine their songs. And, sure. to, and, to, and to work on new material and become you know, another hidden perk we found for musicians. Not only are they making money at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, but they're also becoming better musicians as a result. And they're making contacts. That, I mean, we've had musicians take gigs as far away as China because someone saw them at SeaTac Airport. We've had no musicians way. be in a movie in Los Angeles because someone saw them at SeaTac Airport. <laughs> no way. way really yeah that's that's such a cool story oh my god it's a it's the stories has gone go on and on i mean one day one of the musicians was just doing their set her name was uh, sarah christine she's lovely really one of our babes and uh someone walked up to her and said um, hey i'm traveling uh with someone who's been listening to you and we'd really like to meet you is that okay if i bring him over and she says of course well he brings over stevie wonder and and so she got to meet Stevie Wonder and he gave her, you know, gave her accolades and said what a great, you know, how much he enjoyed listening to her. And, and there's many, many stories like that, that, you know, involve local musicians that we all know that have been extremely generous um, to the musicians playing at SeaTac Airport. And not only generous financially, but generous in their praise and their uh, support of, you know, just – giving people a hand wow. up, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's hard to measure how it, I get, I get teary sometimes when I think about how, how a, a great, what a great thing this has been. Another, another one of my favorite stories is um a musician, Gretchen Yanover. She plays electric cello um, beautifully, of course. And, um, so she was playing one day, and um, an Asian couple with a little boy, a little three-year-old boy, um, stopped and listened. And the little boy was just totally engrossed, and the parents could not get him to leave. You know, they wanted right. to go to their gate and be ready for the boarding, but they had time, and they just they just let that little boy sit there for you know like well over a half an hour. And when they when they did leave, they bought one of Gretchen's CDs story over, right? No, not story over. So like two years later, Gretchen gets an email because they have her contact information off her CD from this couple showing the little boy now five years old playing a cello at home. And he's listened to that CD of hers every day of his, you know, for two years. And they bought him and gave him lessons to play cello. And he's playing cello today.
0: That's 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 a great story.
1: Uh, it makes me cry. <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah, it's, there's so many heartwarming stories. We have, you know, we ask musicians to share those stories with us because we can't be everywhere, and they do. And, right. You know, um, you know, I know we I know we have Lamona's right here with me too. She has a lot of stories that she's heard from musicians because she took, you know, the lead role with the artist relations and programming. Um, Well, but it was pretty, pretty pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, we could, we could spend hours listening to the stories, but I'm going to switch it up and go the opposite direction. Good idea. Tell me about a problem. Like, was there, was there ever a gig that just everything went wrong? There has to be stories of, you know, the musicians showing up late or, you know, forgetting something or just, you know, one of those star crossed shows.
1: It, it happens all, happen at the airport? all the
0: time. Okay.
1: I mean, <laughs> okay. it's not weird at all. <laughs> These things happen all the time, and you know, here's the power of the of the machine we've created. Is like I, I've had a musician call literally less than a, an hour out from the gig and saying, "Hey, my car died on the highway. I can't make it. I'm I'm still you know like 45 minutes away, and by the time I get this figured out, I just can't make it." So with this online scheduling system. You can, in a matter of minutes, put out a message to your, your whole database of people who are on the, on the scheduling system saying, Hey, I have a gig available. Uh, who wants it? You could actually just, it's within 10 seconds. We get some musician who says, I'm there. I'll take it.
0: I'm laughing. Cause it's like you've created Uber for musicians. Pretty much little, little map on your phone with guitars moving around the airport. Yeah. Who's close to the proximity <laughs> yes. to
1: the airport. Yes. And I, we have never failed to deliver on a gig because all of those things you mentioned have happened. Um, we are right. able to fill a gig, you know, like I can name that tune in two seconds or two notes or whatever it is. <laughs> I can fill right, that right. gig in five minutes. Watch this. You know, that's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. So, I, I know that this question I'm going to ask like it's in the present, and it, and it might be, but I understand that perhaps due to the pandemic, your database isn't as maybe robust as it used to be.
1: But at its prime,
0: how many how many musicians did you have in the database?
1: Uh, we probably have over 1,500 today, but um, okay, and we don't reach out to the whole database. I mean, as you know I, I as you can imagine, I mean I, having been in this business and owned a venue, um I know you know how many musicians are out there and you do, there's just no way you either can or want to book them all you know because right. there's right. they're they're at all levels and sure. um and and also our gig requires that you can perform solo um and and do that in in a, in a masterful way you know you can't just be a hack and get up there by yourself and and pull this off. So, you know, just based on the criteria that we have, um, we almost exclusively only work with professional musicians. There's a few musicians who are, you know, still have day jobs or, um, you know, are pursuing other careers and only dabbling in it. But we, we try to make this program on all of our programs, the artists we work with be people who are, um, doing their best to make a living at music, and we feel as though our role is to be a, a piece of that pie, not all of the pie. <laughs> but maybe like one fifth, maybe one eighth—I okay. don't know. But um, depending on how well their career is going, maybe earlier on, we're maybe a fourth of their pie. But we can—we sure. could can never sure. be. No one's going to make a living just working for gigs for you as a musician, because diversity and availability are so critical to our, you know, our process. So Mm -hmm. for example, at SeaTac airport, in order to do 28 gigs a week and keep everybody happy and also have enough artists to, to be available, we maintain a roster of about 80 musicians for that particular program. So that, and and because they um, have been our largest client, we then take that roster, and we kind of keep them working as much as we can. But a lot mm-hmm. of our clients, whether if they're a summer concert series or something like that, then it goes out into areas that we we may not have in our, you know, that we work with on a regular basis in our busker, you know, busker type programs. So then you know, that opens the door for us to bring in, you know, new and more exciting, you know, bigger stuff. Where we can do anything. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've booked stadiums. So I mean, I have you know, we have the skill set and the knowledge to know how to, you know, to book anything. Uh, But what we, our core business is working with large organizations who need all of the things that we can, we can deliver. The other thing that was really important to our clients is that um, as we know, musicians need their money quicker than most of us, you know, to, you know, (laughs) keep their, keep gas in their tank and stuff like that, food on the table. And so we pay our musicians um, on a, a a really pretty fast pace. We were weekly for a while, and we just couldn't maintain that. So we've gone to two weeks, and and that's working out because now we've kind of developed enough bandwidth that that's still enough money coming in for keep everybody happy. Um, hmm. It was just a matter of workload. You know, doing that once a week or twice a week made a huge difference for us right. administratively. So, um, but we send an invoice to our clients, and you know. And usually the bigger the client, the longer they take to pay it, you know, Amazon being the best example. You know, um, Airport has, you know, because we trained them early on, because I had no resources, I, I couldn't support the accounts receivable. They paid me pretty quickly, and they always have. Unless, unless someone takes a vacation and my invoice gets lost in their, in their email for a couple of weeks, and then I get on the phone and go, hello, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have musicians who need to get their paychecks right and we've had right. other clients who have been really supportive in that but you know that's you know we do business like business has to do business especially working sure. with large organizations and yet at the same time on on our um, musician side we do business like musicians need to do business so we pay them much faster than we get paid
0: that's yeah that's that's great that you take care of yeah you take care of the artists and then they keep coming back and they fill in gigs if somebody's car breaks down that's that's
1: just you know, well, amazing to me. You know, that was a lesson learned from uh, when I owned the backstage in Ballard. Uh, I, I, I found out over time, I just kind of inherently always do a really good work. Uh, I'm really meticulous and, you know, things are clean and neat and food tastes good and, you know, everything is as good as it can be. But I found that um, if the musician is comfortable and taken care of, and respected, that they end up performing way better than when. And it took me a long time to really see this clearly um, at the backstage. I just did it naturally, but then I saw how other people were doing business, and I heard stories from other musicians, and they were always saying, "God, this is our favorite place to play." You know, these are musicians who mm-hmm. tour the country, and they come in. And I well, you know, why is that? I'm like, what am I doing? You know, to help me out here. Tell me what I'm doing that so that makes it so great. And they they just said all those things. Well, you know, you're just always prepared. You know, your sound system is great. Um, you know, I just I just feel like doing a great show when I'm here because I'm so happy to be here.
0: That's there you go. Well, which and then there you go. Gives your same thing your venue the reputation of being a great venue to see live music at because the performers are yeah, it came Doing full circle, didn't it?
1: Yeah, and then the, right. the audience Absolutely. was going, God, I saw the best shows at the backstage. Well, they did. They saw the best shows that that performer ever did or one of the best right. shows, you yeah.
0: know? Right, versus, yeah, having you know, having a bad day. And I still, totally off topic. But it's music related, yeah. but totally off topic. Um, I saw John Doe play a solo show at the High Dive in, in Fremont. Mm-hmm. So we go, we go to the show and John comes up on stage and he goes, I don't feel good. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through the show. Go get your money back, come back in if you want, but I don't think you're going to get your money's worth tonight. Mm -hmm. Two and a half hours later, he was still playing. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, it was a great show. I mean, he, he wasn't, you know, I, I but I appreciate the fact that he acknowledged he was having an off night. Yeah, you know yeah. that he wasn't feeling well. Yeah, and yet he still showed up, did the show, um, gave a. I don't want to say he gave his all. I can't speak for him, but you know he gave a great performance. How many and people I came back my, in? Well, nobody left. Exactly. We, also, we we also take our money and we're here and we'll. Yeah. You know, we get thirty minutes. We get thirty minutes if we get an hour we get an hour, whatever, you yes, know, exactly. next thing I know there's shots of whiskey coming up on the stage for him. Yeah. You know? And was like, right. here, have some medicine. Drink. Right, yeah. And you know, and he, he, he knocked a few back and, yeah. and he, he was, he was He's a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Was he a hundred percent? Probably not, not yeah. but you know what? He didn't try to fake it either. No. I like that. So we'll we'll wrap this up because you've got to go book some gigs. Yeah. But March, 2022, you're going to, guys are going to start dusting this off again. That's that's wonderful news. Yeah. What is it going to be at first? Do you know how many gigs you're going to try to
1: um, roll out? Well, you know, the key thing with the airport was that we did such a huge volume that we could deliver gigs at an, a really low price. So when, you know, at, at the level we're at now, it's kind of like all of our other clients. So, you know, it's not going to be, their dollar doesn't go as far. So it's going to end mm-hmm. up being, um, about 120 gigs during the whole year.
0: Okay. Okay. So much smaller to start Much, with. much smaller.
1: Now, you know, okay. if things change with the, um, you know, if the pandemic actually does come to an end and things start going back to mm-hmm. normal, um, we could see an increase at any time, but that's, okay. that's basically where we're at. And it was, it's really been challenging because we're at, you know, everybody's at the end of the line of getting financial support. So um, it's really challenging for us to figure out how to make it through this, this coming year with still will be probably uh, maybe at the best 60% of the business we were doing before. So I think, okay. you know, there's no doubt that the entertainment industry has taken a bigger hit than most, I mean, I know there's mm-hmm. others too, but we're sure taking the big one. No, but uh, we're absolutely, pretty it's hard for musicians. Yeah, we'll be. We're pretty confident that we have a plan in place, and it's with you know sacrifices made on everyone's part. You know, there's fewer fewer musicians are going to be making money. They're going to have fewer gigs. We're make, we're you know probably won't make money again this year mm-hmm. or the third year, and um, but we're going to come out on the other side. Just we're going instead of being with no debt and a bright future, we're going to have a, a big pile of debt, but we still have a bright future.
0: Yeah, well, I think you know, I, I you know, I've I've seen some reviews about SeaTac Airport and, and the music that's there, and it's it's garnered a lot of positive press, yeah. and you've got a instrumental role in that, and I I anticipate that this will, COVID will probably exist in some form all the time we're just going to as society learn to adapt to what that co- looks like in public places and yeah, we'll again. go from there. And yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you're putting plexiglass screens up in front of the music. I, who knows? Right. I don't know. Right. I don't know. And, uh, but where can people, do you, do you have, is there a place online people can find out more about what you guys are doing or well, of you know, what can we do to share that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have, our website is, uh, gigs4u.org, O-R-G, and of course that's the number four and the letter U. Um, and so at our at our website, there's a, a place where musicians can um, uh, sign up to be in our database, and they will, you know, they're automatically into our database, and then we review um, every submission, and um, and then on a more like a quarterly basis, we update our roster. So, okay. you know, um, so it's not, we're not updating the roster all the time. I mean, occasionally, especially if it's a referral or something like that, someone who's just automatically, yeah, we need to put this person to work right away because we know they're going to really please our clients mm-hmm. and, you know, their, their guests. So, um, but it can be a slow process um, and it's, You know, it's like the music business has always been, you know, you're going to get on the merry ground and not everybody gets that golden ticket. So we're just a smaller merry ground in the big picture of show business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Ed, thank you so much for having uh, creating the schedule to come back for a second time. So we could just really just talk about the the gigs for you, part of what you've done in your career. Uh, It's, um, I think it's interesting. I, I think it's interesting in the sense of the logistics of it. I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. And now all I want to do is ask questions about logistics, but I'm probably the only person that would want to listen to that. So I'll, I'll spare our listeners those questions.
1: Well, how about this? But I, I next, next time you fly out of SeaTac and, and we're in, and we're back in business um, let me know and I'll connect you with our people on site and they can kind of show you around and how we probably how we make it work. I would love that. Yeah.
0: I would, I would love that. Yeah, so that we we'll absolutely will take you up on that. Cool. Um, appreciate that. So thank you, thank you, and Ramona, thank you for being a part of this too, even though you're not on the episode live with
1: us. She is just um, three feet away from me. Well, tell her to say hello. Okay, she's she's hello to you, Ramona. Oh. <laughs> Wait, no, no, tell Ramona to say hello. Oh. I want
0: we want Ramona on the episode. Oh,
1: can you say hello? Uh, yeah, you, you know how to say hello. hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> there we go. That's Ramona, everybody.
0: All right. Well, I will let you go. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, sir. Okay.
1: Thanks a lot. See you later, Scott.
0: Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.